What is up, guys? And welcome to Montreal Madness with your host, Tony Montreal. So I don't know about you guys, but last weekend, I experienced the lowest of the lows on Saturday when Penn State got upset against Indiana. But then on Sunday, I experienced the highest of highs whenever the Pittsburgh Steelers beat probably a top five team in the NFL um, in the Tennessee Titans 27-24 to improve to 6-0. So speaking of that, I want to talk about my lowest of lows um, right now from last Saturday in Penn State's overtime loss to Indiana. And quite frankly, just my take on Penn State football and the program as of right now heading into uh, this Ohio State matchup on Saturday night in primetime on ABC. I don't think this Penn State team is as talented as we all think they are. Um, just watching the game against Indiana, you know, I know the stat book shows that Penn State dominated on both sides of the ball, but if you actually sat down and watched that game from start to finish, just in my personal uh, views right here, I feel like Penn State is just lacking overall talent. Just from from your quarterback, you know, who's supposed to be your leader, the best player on your team, all the way down to their special teams and their punter. They are just lacking talent, uh, at least compared to the top teams in the country and the Big Ten. Um, they're just lacking that talent that can get you... Um, overcoming these games where you beat yourself. You know, Penn State turned the ball over multiple times. They committed 10 penalties for over 100 yards. Um, they really shot themselves in the foot this past Saturday. But despite that, though, Penn State and this football program in general should be talented enough to overcome their own mistakes like that and beat a team like Indiana. You know, if you put Ohio State in the same situation that Penn State had on Saturday, they still walk out with a win, and a sizable win at that, just for the fact that they are just that well overpowered with talent compared to Indiana. And that's what we, as Penn State fans, think of this Penn State football program, where they should be talented enough year after year to overcome mistakes against teams like Indiana, so that way they don't start off the season 0-1. But alas... I really don't think this Penn State football program is within the top 10 in this country. I, I really I really don't think talent-wise Penn State is up there from the top 10 um, in the country, you know, like the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Georgias, the Clemsons out there. I don't think they're on the same level as those guys as far as talent is concerned. You know, Penn State, they if I had to grade them like from A to an F, the football program in general... I believe is a solid B. You know, they'll get you anywhere from 8 to 10 wins a year. They'll win you a good bowl game like the Cotton Bowl last year on occasion. But Penn State, the way they're structured right now, they are not good enough to consistently win you uh, Big Ten titles and definitely not consistent enough to make it to the college football playoff and potentially win a national title. This program isn't anywhere near... Um, that that type of elite talent that James Franklin um, quoted on saying two years ago. You know, this Penn State team, they are a very good team, if not great team at times, but they are not elite. And 
James Franklin came out and said that in 2018 after they lost to Ohio State at home. And I think he needs to take a long look in the mirror at himself because he is not an elite coach. He's far from it. I wouldn't even go as far to say as he's a great coach. You know, he is a very good coach, but he is not a coach that's going to take you to that next level. You know, he won't take you to those Big Ten championships on a consistent basis. You know, he won't win you 10, 11 games a year on a consistent basis. You know, he's the type of guy, yeah, he'll give you 8 to 10 years on average, 8 to 10 wins a year on average, but he won't take you to the promised land. He won't take you to those title games and those big bowl games like the Rose Bowl. You you won't see that consistently from a team that's led by James Franklin. And just what he did against Indiana late in the game just confirms that. Because in a one-point game where you are ahead 21-20 to with a minute 52 left to go, Indiana has one timeout left and you're inside Indiana's red zone. You know, if you want to be ultra conservative in that situation, you take three kneel downs, you force Indiana to burn their last time out. So you're looking at a field goal attempt from around 35 to 40 yards with 30 seconds left to go in the game. Now, I know the Penn State's kicker, Penninger, um, he missed a couple of field goals already in the game. But nevertheless, worst case scenario, if you go that conservative route in doing the kneel downs, is that you missed a field goal, you give Indiana the ball at Pence at their own 32-33 yard line, and you force them to basically drive 30 to 40 yards to attempt a field goal with 25 seconds on the clock, because you gotta figure it takes about five seconds to, you know, from the time the ball is snapped till it's kicked and either up through the up uprights or missed. So there, you have Indiana with 25 seconds left, no timeouts to go down the field 30 to 40 yards to attempt a field goal to win the game. I like those odds, odds because Indiana is not a quick strike offense. You know, I know they did drive the length of the field late in the game to tie the game with as times expires in regulation, but they didn't have to be that quick strike offense. You know, they still had a minute 47 left to go in the game. You know, and in college, once you get a first down, the play clock stops to the balls reset. So in college, you have that advantage to be methodical in a two-minute situation. So there, if you give Indiana the ball at at their own 32, 33-yard line of 25 seconds left and no timeouts, I like Penn State's chances of winning almost 10 times more than I did whenever they went ahead and scored the touchdown to go by eight. You know, that was a stupid, stupid decision on James Franklin. And now I know it's been said by a couple of the players that it was discussed that once we get a first down to slide and not score, but apparently that wasn't conveyed enough inside the huddle or along the sideline because that running back, Devin Ford, took the handoff, got the first down, but was unaware of the situation and just scored. If he slides down at the 10-yard line to gain the first down, Indiana is forced to call their last timeout, and then it's automatically game over. Indiana from there um, cannot stop the clock anymore, and Penn State wins the game. But alas, that didn't happen. James Franklin blew another game just like he did back in 2008 when they had that fourth and five to go situation late in the game against Ohio State and called a traditional run play up the middle. 
that is the type of coach that James Franken is. You know, he's a good coach. He's a solid coach. He will get you eight to 10 wins a season. But if your expectations are to win Big Ten titles and to make it into the college football playoff to win national titles, then James Franklin cannot be that coach. You know, is he a good recruiter? Yes, he's probably like an A minus B plus recruiter in my book. But as far as, you know, situational football is concerned, how do you coach a game mid game? You know, how do you game plan for a tough team like Ohio State or Wisconsin? He has proved time and time again that when the chips fall, when they're all in, when the chips are all in and everything, you know, you need to win big time games that he simply cannot do it. And by the way, if not for a miraculously blocked field goal against Ohio State back in 2016, James Franken still not, still to this day doesn't have a signature win with Penn State in the James Franken era. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have that signature win, if not for a blocked field goal taken to the house back four years ago. So, do I think James Franklin is a good coach? Yes, but I don't want just a good coach. I want the best coach. I want a coach who can take this team to Big Ten titles and national title, um, you know, contention. I don't want just eight to ten year, um, eight to ten win seasons and a chance to go to the Cotton Bowl. I don't want that. And I don't think Penn State fans want that either. I don't think the players want that either. But alas, this is what we have to work with. It's guess it's one of the situation is who's who else is better out there in the coaching market. But if you ask me, James James Franklin will not win you titles both in the Big 10 and the national titles. He he's just not a coach that can get you there and, and can win the big game. And he has proved that time after time after time again. And I quite frankly cannot trust James Franklin in a big game or even a tight game um, for that matter anymore. I can't trust him anymore in those types of games because he's proved to me time and time again where, you know, when the, all the chips are on the line, he just, he folds. He simply folds and doesn't know how to win the big game. And speaking of big games, you know, Penn State's got their biggest game of the year when they face Ohio State tomorrow at 7.30 on ABC. And I am really going to be just short with this uh, preview against Ohio State because it's going to be a slaughter, guys. You know, in just I can't think of any scenario where Penn State can pull off the upset and beat this Ohio State team. I can't think of one. Even if Penn State plays their best game of the year, you know, everybody brings their A game into this game against Ohio State. I still think Ohio State is just that much more talented and that much better as a program to where they're going to win this game by three or more scores. Um, you know, I know Penn State right now, they are 12 and a half point underdogs. They are not going to come close to covering that spread. So if you're betting on this game, do not have Penn State covering, guys. They they don't have the talent, the coaching, whatever. They don't have anything to compete with this Ohio State team. You know, I can I can see this Penn State team hanging with Ohio State from 7 to 10 points, you know, midway through the second quarter as the minutes are winding down in the first half. But, you know, once the second half starts, it's going to be a bulldozing. Ohio State just going to open it up. They are going to get a couple quick scores, 
and that's just going to uh, demoralize this Penn State team, and they're just open the floodgates from there. I just I think this is just going to be an embarrassing loss by this Penn State team. They are going to get smacked around from this opening whistle to the uh, to the ending whistle, and it is going to be an ugly game for us Penn State fans. So I have the Buckeyes beating the Nittany Lions, forty-five to twenty. I have Penn State going, unfortunately, zero and two on the year, and I don't like what I'm seeing as far as the progression of this program moving forward. So now that the doom and gloom portion of this episode is out of the way, I want to talk about probably the best team in the NFL right now in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So out of all the stats and all the categories that you can kind of define what a good team is, there's really only three stats and categories that you should be concerned about when defining um, a good team and kind of separating the good teams from the bad. So those three stats and categories are time of possession, uh, your third down conversion rate, and getting off the field on defense. And that is what the Pittsburgh Steelers do better in my mind than any other team in the league right now. Now, through the first four weeks of the season, although the Steelers were 4-0, and you know, a lot what was made about the Pittsburgh Steelers during those first four weeks of the season was the fact that they played teams with a combined record of, you know, 3-15-1 and, and essentially playing the garbage teams of the NFL. And, you know, there was some merit to that because, you know, yes, although the Steelers had a perfect record through their first four games of the season, uh, the defense did not look like it was um, last year. You know, they were allowing teams um, up until the Cleveland game to have a 50% third down conversion rate, which was good for 28th in the league. So they are really struggling on defense getting off the field. But against the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans, the Pittsburgh Steelers held both of those teams to under 20% on third down conversions. Uh, they also won those two games by a combined 34 points. That is just complete domination, folks. You know, the Steelers, you know, they already were a good team in time of possession. They were already a good team on converting third downs on offense. All they needed was for that third thing to come alive on this defense that was getting off the field. And they sure as hell have done that the past uh, two games, especially doing it against a really good Titans team, who, like I said earlier, is probably a top five team in the entire league. So to only hold the Titans to just five third down conversions on 13 attempts with the likes of Derrick Henry and that running attack... That was so critical into beating this Titans group and to honestly beating just any team in the league. If you can go as a defense, only allowing the offense um, to convert five of 13 third down conversions and to have a 40 to 20 um, possession time difference and to go 13 of 18 on third downs for your offense, you know, 99 times out of 100, you're winning those games, despite even turning the ball over three times uh, like the Steelers did on offense with Big Ben throwing those three picks. 
And by the way, just let me say something about this. You know, really only one interception was on Big Ben. You know, the first one was a Hail Mary at the end of that first half in the end zone, which was picked off. Now, should they have kicked a field goal or whatever? You know, that's another story for a different day. But regardless, you know, that really wasn't on his fault. Even though the Titans picked it off, they couldn't put any points on the board because of it, because it was literally the last seconds of the first half. The second one was a tip ball, and that's just really an unlucky bounce. It's not the quarterback's fault for a tip ball uh, more often than not, and it wasn't one of those times. You know, it's just defender got a hand on the ball, got deflected, you know, and a defensive back picked it off. It's just one of those things. Now, the only interception that you can blame Big Ben on was that one late in the game where they are looking to drive down the field to score a touchdown to essentially seal the game. Now, you got to understand, even Big Ben admitted uh, to this himself at his post-game press conference, was the fact that he had a linebacker on Juju. He's taking that matchup 10 times out of 10. And although the linebacker had really good coverage on him, if he would have threw it high into his back shoulder, either Juju makes that catch or it's incomplete. And that's the worst case scenario. You know, Big Ben just misfired on that. But he would do that 10 times out of 10. And I don't blame him. Um, but I think what Big Ben overall needs to realize is that he has a good enough team around him. Unlike in years past, he doesn't go out. He doesn't have to go out there and try to win the game by himself. You know, I believe if he has that situation and that scenario all over again, he dumps it off to his tight end in the flat because on that very play, he had either Eric Ebron or Vance McDonald, one of those two wide open for an easy first down. So although I like him, what he said after the game about if he just makes a better throw, that's a touchdown or just an incomplete pass. He needs to realize that these, this isn't the same Steelers team as we've seen in the past. You know, they are a complete team right now and Big Ben does not have to win it on his own. So I think that goes through his head a little bit more as the season winds down. And, you know, the Steelers were just one stat slash category away from being a completely dominant team. They have figured that out. They have gotten off the field against, you know, two teams that were have a combined record of nine and one. Um, for them to do that against the Browns and more importantly the Titans, I mean, I have never seen a Steeler team this good and this dominant in my life of watching the Steelers and watching football in general. Now, I know there's an argument out there that can be made that, you know, the Steelers almost blew that game to the Titans. You know, they allowed them to get back in the game and everything. But if you just watch that whole entire game from start to finish, the Titans never looked like, you know, the most the more dominant team out in the field. It was the Pittsburgh Steelers that were the more talented team. It was the Pittsburgh Steelers that were the most dominant team throughout the game. I mean, they literally dictated how that game was going to be played. Now, you do have to give Tennessee a lot of credit, though, because they are a top five team in the league. And although Pittsburgh was just beating the crap out of them in the first half, I never felt confident that the Steelers were just going to put this away in the second half and that the Titans were just going to roll over and die. No, that was not the case. And that wasn't the case. You know, the Titans proved that they were one of the uh, top tier teams in the league. They did mount a charge um, almost to tie the Steelers on that last drive of the game. But I think that's more of a, a credit to how good Tennessee is rather than the fact that the Steelers just let their foot off the gas pedal and let them back into the game. Because the Titans really only had two legit scoring drives throughout that entire game. You know, the one catch and run for 73 yards from uh, A.J. Brown. 
you know, that was a fluke play. You know, uh, Steeler defender, I forget who it was, but he came within inches of getting a hand on that pass to A.J. Brown and deflecting it for an incomplete pass. But, you know, that's what this game is all about, guys. The NFL, just football in general, is a game of inches. And that's all it took for, you know, uh, the ball to um, miss the Steelers defender's hand and go right into A.J. Brown's arms and he runs it off for a touchdown. But that's just a fluke play, guys. Um, the other one where Derrick Henry scored from the the one yard line, if not for a stupid freaking defensive holding call on fourth down, the Titans turned the ball over on downs at the one yard line. And speaking of that goal line stand on third down, did you, did you guys freaking see Spillane's hit on Henry? Now, I don't know about you, but if you can take one clip that defines what this Steelers organization is all about, it's that clip right there. You know what, Robert Spillane just coming right through the center of the hole there, right in the middle of the field, mono e mono on Derrick Henry, and just flat out pounded him to the ground. I mean, that is the definition of Steelers football right there. But kind of backtracking, going back to the point that I was trying to make, you know, so if that defensive holding call isn't called like it shouldn't have been, because that was such a tick-tacky call, guys. I mean, the defender barely grabbed him. It was within five yards anyway where, you know, defensive backs can get away with that contact. It should have been called, but nevertheless, it happened. But if it wasn't for that play, they'd have been stopped on fourth down. And, you know, the Steelers, you know, the, you know, they didn't get their sacks. They only had two in the game. They didn't force any turnovers. But they forced Ryan Tannehill to only go 18 for 30 for 220-some yards. And, you know, take away that 73-yard catch run from Brown. You know, he only has like a buck 50 for passing yards. You know, they made him look uncomfortable in the pocket from that first series all the way to the end. He had to throw the ball away sooner than when he wanted to. You know, he is known to do a lot of timing routes with his receivers. You know, get, you know just getting him off rhythm and to make those some of those ugly throws that he did and those, you know, wide target throws. You know, that's just a kudos to the defense playing smart football because Tennessee's a team where they don't turn the ball over a lot. So for them getting off the field on defense, you know, only allowing the Titans to convert five of 13 third down attempts, um, that was huge. Getting Tannehill off rhythm, that was big. And just like I said, the Steelers, both on offense and on defense, just dominated that game from start to finish. And I like what I'm seeing from the Steelers squad. And the best part about this team is, is that they match up against any team in the NFL right now. You know, against teams like Kansas City, who are high offense teams, you know, with the Steelers owning the time of possession margin, um, they have, I think, a, I think they're third in the league in time of possession right now. So how do you stop Patrick Mahomes in that offense? You keep them on the sideline. The Steelers are one of the best teams in time of possession, and they can keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline and not allow him on the field. And that's quite honestly what the Patriots did two years ago to make it to the Super Bowl when they played them uh, in the AFC Championship game. I mean, Mahomes barely had the ball for 20 minutes. And what did the Steelers do last week? They held Ryan Tannehill in that offense to only 20 minutes. So this Pittsburgh Steelers team is built to beat anybody in the league. And I really think the only way the Pittsburgh Steelers lose a game at all this year is if the Pittsburgh Steelers end up beating them, beating themselves, you know, with costly turnovers, with untimely penalties and that sort of thing. But I don't see any team out there that can match up 
with the Steelers talent-wise and just straight up beat them. I, I don't see that happening. And, you know, I just see the only way the Steelers would end up losing a game or multiple games this year is due to the fact they beat themselves. So if the Steelers can avoid doing that, I don't think any team can beat the Steelers. If they play like they've been playing, no team in the NFL can beat them. So with all that leading into my preview of the Steelers matchup against the Ravens this coming Sunday, if you want a bold prediction, guys, here it goes. The winner of this game between the Steelers and Ravens at Baltimore on Sunday will win the AFC North. I just have a feeling that if you can, if you're the Steelers or the Ravens, if you can find a way to win this first matchup, you go into that second matchup on Thanksgiving, knowing that you will just be in a tie at that situation um, for the division lead. However, though, the Steelers have the easier schedule um, after this game than Baltimore does. So that just favors the Steelers that much more if the Ravens and Steelers can split this series at 1-1. So if that's the case, the Steelers have the easiest schedule of the two uh, of the two teams remaining. So I love the Steelers winning that division even more if they can find a way to beat Baltimore on Sunday. So the consensus of this game right now essentially is a coin flip. You know, these teams are so evenly matched that the game's going to be decided on one or two plays alone. And that's going to be the real difference uh, in a game like this. And guess what team has the better playmakers um, on their side? That is easily the Pittsburgh Steelers. They have playmakers across the board, not just on offense, but on defense too. You know, they can make those big splash plays to turn the momentum um, of a game around. You know, on offense, they have so many weapons at the wide receiver position where you get a double cover one, well, then that's just one-on-one -on -one for three other wide receivers who are equally as talented as the other. So in a game like this, where I believe it's going to be a defen uh, defensive struggle, you know, both defenses are dominating on every possession. You know, the offense has to earn every yard out there. I believe it's going to be type of, uh, one of those types of games that we used to see from this rivalry back in like 2008, um, the late 2000s, and early 2010s. It's been one of those types of games. And in a game where it's that close defensively, where, you know, one play by a playmaker is all the difference in the game, you have to favor the Steelers on that because they have playmakers out the ass. Baltimore, yes, they are really stout and solid team, but they're kind of like the Titans. Outside of Lamar Jackson, they don't have that big-time playmaker like the Steelers have or like Kansas City has. You know, they don't have those types of playmakers on that Baltimore team. And the Steelers do. They are the more talented team going into this game, despite um, both of these teams being so close um, talent-wise. I still think they have advantage goes to the Steelers, who are the most talented team in the league. And you combine that with them owning the time of possession, them converting third downs, and then getting up the field on defense. That is just a recipe for winning football. And all of that is going to be um, a key factor into beating this Ravens team. You know, if the Steelers on offense, if they can do what they get against, uh, against the Tennessee Titans, you know, extending drives on third down, winning first and second down to get in those third and manageables, to be successful, um, you know, methodically driving, you know, having seven, eight-minute drives and keeping Lamar Jackson on the sideline. And then on defense, getting off the field. Don't allow Baltimore to convert third downs. If they can do all of that, which I think they will, they win this game 
Um, not by a lot. It's going to be a very close game, just like against Tennessee. But I have the Steelers. I think they prove that they are the better team um, this week as well. And I have them winning by a score of 23-19. to 19. And with that win, I think the Steelers end up winning that division as well. So we'll just have to see how it plays out on Sunday. But I like where the Steelers are heading. I like this matchup against the Ravens. And I think they come out on top and they take a stronghold on this AFC North uh, division. Now, before I end today's episode, I just want to talk a little bit about the whole debate we heard in the NFL offseason where who was going to be more successful at the end of their careers without each other, Tom Brady or Bill Belichick? Now, I think through seven weeks into this 2020 NFL season, I think it's safe to say that Tom Brady, not only will he be will he be having the more successful career um, after leaving the Patriots, I think he was the most integral part um, within that whole 20-year dynasty that the Patriots had from 2000 to 2019. And the reason why I say that is not because Bill Belichick isn't a good coach. You know, I personally believe that he is going to go down as the best coach in NFL history, period. But I just think this that goes to show you that a quarterback is the most valuable asset you have to a football team. Regardless of what team you are, the quarterback is the most important asset to a franchise. Because I don't care how good you are as a coach. You know, you can have the perfect game plan and you can bring in, you know, the perfect players for your schemes and for your game plans and everything. But if your players don't go out there and execute, your game plan and all your schemes and everything don't mean diddly squat. You have to have players that can execute. And Tom Brady, uh, he is he is probably going to go down as the best quarterback in NFL history. And he is just a guy who he executed every game plan, um, every you know football situation to a T. I mean, he was the ultimate football player, let alone the ultimate quarterback. And just to have Tom Brady with Bill Belichick, that's what made that dynasty so special and how long it lasted was because we had the best quarterback in NFL history and the best coach in NFL history. Of course, you're going to have a dynasty. It's just, it's one of those things. But the quarterback position, I think this proves through seven weeks with Tampa Bay being five and two and the uh, Patriots two and four. This just proves that having a quarterback is more important than having um, a really good head coach. If you had to choose between the two, you better go with the quarterback. Because, yes, Brady wouldn't have six rings without Belichick. Belichick would not have more rings without Tom Brady. But Brady, without a doubt, I think would have more Super Bowls than Bill Belichick if they never were on the same team together. I honestly believe that. And if you don't, you just got to really, really evaluate um, what NFL teams try to do. You know, it's not like the 90s and early 2000s anymore, like the likes of Trent Dilfer and those types of quarterbacks. You cannot win Super Bowls of quarterbacks like Trent Dilfer. You can't win Super Bowls of quarterbacks like Tommy Maddox. You can't win you can't win titles with quarterbacks like that. You have to have franchise quarterbacks. I mean, just look at the last 10 Super Bowl winners. Every Super Bowl winning quarterback was considered a franchise guy except with the exception of Nick Foles. That's it. All the others were considered franchise quarterbacks. So, I just think after all that consideration, 
through seven weeks of just this 2020 season, I think Brady easily wins that debate in who will be the most successful player slash coach um, after their departure. And I believe he was the most integral part of that 20-year New England Patriot dynasty. Well, all right, guys, I think that's a wrap for this edition of Montreal Madness. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to my podcast on Spotify and on Apple Podcast. Make sure to give me a follow on Twitter and on Facebook at Montreal Madness. And uh, just a quick update before I leave here. So starting next week, I am going to be doing two podcasts. I'll be having one on Monday uh, reviewing the games from the weekend. And then I will have a podcast on Friday previewing games um, for that weekend as well. So starting next week, I'll be going with two podcasts. The first one will either be on Monday or Tuesday. And the second one will be either scheduled to be posted on Thursday or Friday. So keep that in mind as well. And I hope you guys all have a great weekend. And until next week, uh, have a great one.